there's nothing more important, particularly as a, in my opinion, as a leader in a new environment than to understand how your counterparts and direct reports are thinking. What is their mindset? What can you rely on them to do? Because here's the thing, true leaders are, are a little bit more hands-off, right? You're not supposed to be in, in the weeds with anything. And, and you need to be able to have confidence in and rely on the fact that there's alignment between your intentions, you know, what you think is happening and the reality of what's being done, what's being carried out. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspire Podcast is Brenda Harrington, and Brenda is the founder and CEO of Adaptive Leadership. Uh, it's a firm that's been around for 12 years, specializes in leadership development, and with a specific focus that, that I know, Brenda, when we prep for this, I, I thought would make for a great conversation, which is you do a lot of work with individuals who are taking on new roles, either with a new company or in their existing company. So let me just say, we're going to talk about what it takes to thrive as you prepare to take on a new role. And I want to say thanks so much for coming on the Inspire podcast. And I want to say thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And before we do dive into that topic, and I know you've got some great advice for people, maybe just take a step back and give me and our listeners a bit of the Cole's notes of your career and what's led you to this work that you do with Adaptive. Sure. Well, over the arc of my career, I have always gravitated toward the people part. Certainly done a lot of other technical things in the area of marketing and professional development, things like that. But all roads for me have led to success when I have been able to focus on what matters most to people and relationships. And so around the time of the financial crisis, right? The big recession, 2007, 2008. I was at a point where I wanted to really be intentional about about the next chapter of my professional life. Uh, And I was internal. I was the executive vice president of a regional consulting and real estate management firm. And uh, I I was responsible for overseeing a number of different departments, HR, finance, accounting, IT, but what really mattered to me was what was going on with people. And we found ourselves faced with a, a very challenging acquisition and, and people were uncomfortable. They were afraid. And that solidified for me the fact that if you really pay attention to what's, ma- what's going on with people and can get them to where they need to be, amazing things can happen. And so that's when I really started to think about crafting a, a practice that would enable me to do that full time and not just as a portion of my time. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. So so you went through that success. I, I'm curious. So you went from people very apprehensive about an acquisition. In, in retrospect, what was the key to moving them from that apprehension to buying in when you talk about that focus on people? You know, they were a lot of the people who were apprehensive about the acquisition had been very reliant upon others over the course of their career. And I, I tried to work with them to help them find what they had within, okay? 
and to really begin to develop the things that they had, in many cases, ignored, right, as their strengths and their competencies, you know, to find their way forward. Because it had to be, at that point, it had to be about more than what they were doing for, you know, a prior manager or a prior CEO, things like that. It had to be what they wanted for themselves. And, you know, we were successful in some cases, not all, but for the people who embraced that, they were able to land on their feet. Hmm. And that kind of, I guess, sparked in you this idea that you could do this for a living. And and so you left a big job in, in corporate America and started your practice. How were the early years of, of making that transition from an executive role to saying, hey, I want to I want you to hire me to help you with your people? Liberating. You know, I didn't just leave on Friday and wake up on Monday. I, I put a lot into I, I put a lot into planning. I went back to Georgetown at that point and completed my certification in leadership coaching. I pulled together some psychometric instruments and some other things that I wanted to use in the practice. I also uh, availed myself of o- other training, learning and development around professional development and, and human capital and things like that. So I felt like, it, at least from an academic perspective, I prepared myself, which augmented the experience that I had gained over 30 plus years at that point. And so I did come with some credibility, right? I did have some street credit. Yeah. Yeah. And and fortunately, I, I had some 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 close associates, if you will, that knew me and were buying in. It was good timing because I think that coaching in particular was coming into its own around that time. It had been somewhat of, of a of a mystery to many people, you know, early on. But that was about the time I think we were turning the corner and people were beginning to embrace it more. So yeah, you're right. It was good timing because now, you know, coaching is is not viewed. I mean, I've I've had the privilege of coaching people for 20 years. And, you know, I remember where I started, it was, well, is this remedial or what's wrong if I'm getting coaching? And now everyone has a coach. I mean, if everyone wants a coach, I, there is very much this idea of, of performance and how how valuable it is. Um, now, in, in your time, and I know you've, congratulations, in 20, last year, in March, you published a book. Yeah, Access Denied on Addressing Workplace Disparities and Discrimination. And, and you've also built a practice with helping subject matter experts transition to people leadership and and as and this topic that we're talking about, which is people who are stepping up and taking on a new role or different role. So talk to me a bit about how did you come into this space? Let's focus on this idea of taking on a new role. How did this become kind of an area of interest, expertise for you in your in your practice? That happened somewhat organically. It's not something that was intentional. In, in all honesty, but but it kept showing up. It kept showing up. And what I realized was that because I have a high tolerance for change and because I have a higher risk tolerance than most, you know, I'm not intimidated by change. And so I think that that positions me to hold a different space for people when they're encountering these kinds of changes. And really, the, the fundamental piece is, is to just be willing to shift your mindset mm. and to let go of some things that, you know, may have served you in your previous role and be willing to, you know, kind of hang glide a little bit. And as you transition to those things that are going to be meaningful to you moving forward. And that's a scary place for people, you know, to use the metaphor tightrope without a net, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think you're absolutely right. People are apprehensive about change. They're scared, scared about role changes. 
And and so with all of that, in some ways, the last couple of years, you know, with this phenomenon of the great resignation, people switching jobs, it's been all the more surprising. You know, what are you seeing when you talk to people? Are they more willing to switch? Are they less afraid? Like what is dry? What's the psychology of the people you're working with in the last couple of years since COVID around new roles? A lot more people want to switch. Hmm. I don't know that that has allayed the fear. Okay. 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 And, and, and so, and I'm a person, you know, I've made a number of transitions and, and I know, I don't always know where there is, but I know that where I am is not working. And so I think you've got to be willing to move away a little bit, you know, allow yourself some space to reflect and kind of figure it out and move forward. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think about that realistically and economically, I mean, you know, people need to cover themselves with compensation and things like that. But there are always things that you can do to put your toe in the water. There are always things that you can do to begin to experience that new reality that you want. And so, you know, I try to encourage people to see where they might, because the other thing is, listen, the grass is not always green and you might have these myths about, oh, if I could only do this and if I could only work in here and that's so great. And you get there and, it, and it's worse than where you left. Right? Get me back. Get me back. Get me back, please. And so, yeah, so I, I really try to, to help people figure out how they can go on a test drive. Yeah, there's a great book on that that touches on that called Designing Your Life. It's by, yeah, yeah you know that one, right? Profe- the two professors, at, I think at Stanford, of design thinking. And they talk about that, how people just say, oh, I'm miserable. I'm going to go do this versus, ex- I forget what it is, maybe the test fry is a term, finding ways to experience that future state and evaluate if you really do like it. So it sounds like similar advice to what you give people. No, it's true. It's true. And, you know, there's that word advice. We try not to use that in coaching and I try not to advise. But what would it be like? You know, what would you want to know? What are you curious about? You know, what have you thought about? What are your priorities? What concerns you? And this is the same. I've worked with expats for a number of years off and on, you know, who are transitioning to new cultures, new environments. And, you know, I say to people, do not show up as a tourist. Set the Set the Chamber of Commerce stuff aside, right? And and embed yourself in a community where you might want to live. Try to do the things that you do now at home. Go to the supermarket, participate in recreation. What would it be like to live here? And and I think you've got to be willing to avail yourself of those opportunities. Doesn't always yield the answer you were expecting, but you need to know. <laughs> okay, so let's so let's say you someone listening said, all right, you know what? I've tested it out. I've done a test drive. And I've, I've left my job and I've taken on this new role, or I've been in the company and I've taken on a more senior role in the company. So let's turn to, and they, they're fortunate enough to have engaged you as their coach. So I know you have, you've got three pieces of advice that you give, and I'll just summarize them from our conversation. Be realistic, adopt the right mindset, and develop your, what you call your authentic power center. So let's go through each of those and... Someone's going to get free coaching. And then, of course, maybe they'll call you for the real thing. (laughs) They'll they'll want more. But let's start with be realistic. What is your tell me what that means and then take me into it. What that means is reading the room. You know, I'm just fascinated by people who look around and say, well, I want that job or I'm going to be promoted to this or I want to move into this space. And there's nothing that would suggest that that's a realistic proposition. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Absolutely nothing. 
And so you've got to set re- reasonable and realistic, attainable expectations. Okay. If, if you're in an organization, you know, where, well, there are all kinds of things that could be at play, but the point is, you know, just, just be honest with yourself and others about what's possible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Once you get the role. Okay. So let's imagine you are realistic and, and you apply for and are, are hired for a role. How, how can you define realistic success? Tell me a bit about that and, and, and maybe take us into what you call the myth of leadership. Well, a lot of people think that, you know, if I were, if I were the CEO or if I were the chief operating officer, we would do this, we wouldn't do that. Well, they only have a part of the story, right? And so they, they get there, they, they get into the big chair, they realize there's a lot more to take into consideration. There's a lot more at stake. Things are not as they, the landscape is very different than they anticipated. And so, you know, that's a, that's a learning opportunity. Let's say someone's hired. Let's imagine someone goes, they were a director of finance at a, at a bank. They've always wanted to be a vice president of finance. And they switch banks, they get promoted, they get the job with the promotion to VP finance. And now they're in the, the job they wanted and they switch companies. And now how do you guide them to in their first 60 days to be successful? Um, and talk to me a bit about... Um, defining success. How should people, what kind of questions do you help people answer or ask that allows them to set the stage for success? What were you expecting? What's the reality of what you're experiencing? You know, is there, is there a Delta there? Okay. And you know, is, is it, is it plus or minus? And if it's, you know, not meeting the expectations or it's very different than what you're expecting, how do you bridge that gap? Is it possible for this to you know, meet your professional needs or be what you want it to be. Okay. And that's where I say that's, that's the tough place, you know, that, that, that people have to, to navigate sometimes in in order to really be realistic about what's possible. People come into situations like that with a lot of myths. You said jumping from one company to another, Mm -hmm. and they just assume they're in the same culture that they left and Mm -hmm. they, they get to this new organization and it's like being in the twilight zone. It's a completely different environment, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't. And so, you know, some of those things you can't. You can bring experience forward, right? right. Exactly. But you, you you can't bring some of those other uh, dynamics forward. And, and one of the things that you talked about that may be different that some people have to learn is this idea of you you can be given the org chart, but you don't know the power structure. What should That's right. Be looking. Tell me a bit more about that. And what should people be trying to learn, say, in their first 90 days about those two potentially different structures? So a couple things, you know, with the tools that we have at hand, I just I just would. There's no reason that people cannot take the time to do more due diligence. We make a lot of assumptions. OK, so it's not hard. You won't find out everything, but it's it's a lot easier than it used to be to really uh, get on the inside of or better understanding of the culture of an organization. But once you're there, okay, you really, you really need to understand the power structure. And that may not have as much to do with the CEO and the C-suite as you think, right? So you need to see, one, who, who holds power, who has the most influence, okay, uh, and, and who the informal leaders are, okay? And so, uh, but, but people, you know, kind of look away from those kinds of things in, in a lot of cases. Right. Uh, but once you know that, that's when you can begin to set 
expectations. You need to look at what type of behavior is tolerated and what type of behavior is rewarded, okay? What they say and what's on the website is one thing, but what really plays out in reality is is what tells the story. Can you give me any, that's, that's really fascinating, what's tolerated and what's rewarded. Give me an example, you know, of someone you worked with and some of the things they saw that were tolerated and rewarded, like so that we can have some some kind of immediate example of that, because I think it's a really fascinating way of thinking about it. Well, an example would be, you know, someone, an organization that says that they don't tolerate bullying, that they don't want people to be subject to harassment and and things like that, and that they 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 don't want anyone to create a hostile workplace. But they've got a top performer who's knocking it out of the park financially when it comes to top line revenue, who is absolutely obnoxious and egregious to work with, right? But they continue to look the other way. And so, you know, you have a human resources person and a manager trying to address this in following in a, a, a documented administrative process, for example, not to terminate anyone, but, but to just bring things in line. Maybe think about an intervention such as coaching or training or whatever it is to help this person. And the person complains to the, the CEO and it all goes away. Right. And so everybody's just walking on eggs around this person because they're doing such a great job fin- economically, you know, financially for the company, but everybody else, right? And so, you know, those kinds of things. So yeah. it doesn't matter what it says on the website and it doesn't matter what it says in the handbook. It re- what really matters is what plays out in real, in real life. Yeah. So that, that's really helpful. So you're, so in the, so the step one of being realistic is about being realistic in what you're going for, but it's also being realistic when you get to the new role of, you know, reality versus expectation exactly. chart versus the power structure. What's, right. what's really going on. So you have to learn those things. And it sounds like there's no rule book. Nothing's written down. It's just, you've got to be observant and really pay attention. You do. And, all, you know, there's so much back channeling, you know, there's nothing worse than having a team of people reporting to you, you think, okay, that, uh, where someone has a direct relationship with a member of the executive leadership team. Yeah. So, you know, what, what you say, what you try to implement, what you try to affect doesn't really matter. If this person, you know, can, can circumvent you and say, hey, you know, I, I needed another FTE. I need another full-time headcount. And and Bart said I couldn't have it because we didn't have the budget for it. And they say, oh, yeah, fine. Just go ahead and put it in. I had a CEO tell me recently that he says yes to whoever is standing in front of him. Wow. So this is a, that's a great example of the power structure versus the org chart. That's right. Okay, so let's say, so that step one is be realistic. Get real on what's going on. Second, you talk about adopting the right mindset um, when you take on this more senior role. And you say one of the mistakes that a lot of people make when they're promoted or they they switch companies is they kind of say, I've done this, I don't need to ask. Can you just expand on what you you observe in, in that kind of failing? Especially... At the beginning, when you're in a new role, it's a it's a learning, a listening and learning tour. Okay, you can't make assumptions about anything. <laughs> you really have to 
I use the example part. If you walk into a conference room back in the days and everybody was going in the office, but if you walk into a conference room behind a, another meeting and, and someone's been scribbling on a on a float a flip chart, you're not going to continue to write on that same sheet. You're going to rip it off and start fresh, right? I right. need to think about this the same way. Clean slate, okay? And just be willing to observe and listen and watch. Because you can't, you don't want to make any assumptions. People are very quick to want to put points on the board and score early wins. But that's where you can make the biggest, that's where the biggest trip hazards are. Mm. Okay? So it's really important, you know, to to pay attention and not and not make assumptions about what you want to accomplish and what you're there to do until you learn a little bit about what really will add value and what people will, you know, what will resonate with people and what people will see as as a win. And you talk about to get there, the most critical skill is to be able to ask the right kind of questions. Tell me about what kind of questions and what that skill looks like. Open questions, thoughtful questions, you know, uh, probing questions. And, and really, you know, because people... And this makes people very uncomfortable. I'm hesitating because I just, I'm shaking my head a little bit. You can't see, but people do not like to ask questions. They think that they, since they know the answers, or they think they know the answers, that they shouldn't have to ask the questions. Is it because they feel that they'll be showcasing weakness or a lack of confidence in their new role? Is that why they hold back from asking? In one case, yes. But they also make assumptions that they already know. Mm-hmm. And invariably, if I, if I say part, Go back and ask your director of whatever a few questions. Oh, no, no, they're good. They do this. They do that. She knows. No, go back and ask a few open questions. And and people will come back to me just, just aghast at the responses they get. You know, I thought she knew. I thought, you know, I wasn't, I thought she was more strategic. I assume, you know, and you can't make assumptions. You really need to know there's nothing more important, particularly as a, in my opinion, as a leader in a new environment than to understand how your counterparts and direct reports are thinking. What is their mindset? What can you rely on them to do? Because here's the thing, true leaders are, are a little bit more hands-off, right? You're not supposed to be in, in the weeds with anything. And, and you need to be able to have confidence in and rely on the fact that there's alignment between your intentions, you know, what you think is happening and the reality of what's being done, what's being carried out. And so what I'm hearing is this need to understand how others think, what their knowledge is, what their what their alignment is, is really you're speaking about peers and your direct reports when you take on a new role. Does it also apply to your boss or or let's say to your say your oh, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Now, what's the risk to people say, I mean, you, you've commented that some of the people you coach say, it, it's not that they're reluctant to ask, they just assume that there is alignment and are shocked when there's not. Are people ever concerned about not seeming uh, knowledgeable? I mean, you know, I think with that scenario where the director has been promoted, switched companies, she's in that role and now she's saying, well, I, I don't want them to worry that they didn't get someone capable. Does that ha- do you see that with people who switch companies when they they don't they haven't built the trust and so they're reluctant to cast doubt on their abilities? For sure, for sure. And and they 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 associate asking questions with with uh, not knowing. 
And that's not what it is at all. <laughs> that's not what it is at all. And so they, they what should they think instead? They well, really, being being able to uh, assess what's happening, right? They're not there. They're not there as doers. They're there to get things done. How could you possibly know, particularly as a newcomer, the answer to all these questions, right? right? And right. so the blind spot, the assumption of uh, thinking that you've seen it before, you know exactly what to do, can really take you to, to dark and scary places. <laughs> right. And the last thing you mentioned, you know, as a leader, you know, part of knowing these things about your people and your peers is being able to set back and empower them. And you, you mentioned something about when we were preparing for our conversation about you have to let go of the visceral satisfaction that comes with doing. Can you talk a bit about that? Yes, yes. And so it goes back to this gold star thing when we were in school, right? If you get if you get it right, you get a nice gold star, you get some kind of prize or reward. The the rewards that come with leadership are are not that tangible. You're telling me, oh my gosh, I know it is like, you know, I remember. I, sorry, I have to interrupt you there. I just I remember early in my career, I thought. If I was running this company, boy, everything will be great. It'll be so satisfying and people will love me. Oh boy, was I wrong on all of those cats. Have that word for you, Bart. Just to- <laughs> so oh, I see. Look, the only decisions that seem to come to me, because I have very capable people, the only decisions that seem to make themselves to me are the unpleasant ones or ones with, with uncertain code chops. <laughs> right, right, right. You, you, you're not going to get the Gatorade. Fast, and you're not going to get you know carried on the shoulders of the, no. That's not what this is. It's not what this is. And and people don't understand that, so they've got to. It's almost like developing a different value system, because if you're if if you are values were associated with getting that those accolades and and that constant recognition, and and it's all it almost becomes transactional, right? You do this thing, you get it right, you receive a reward. You got to get off that hamster wheel and really think differently about how to measure success. That's really hard for people to do. It is really hard. And, you know, like, I, I you know, I say, you know, no one ever comes to me and says, you know, Bart, I just want you to know when, how much I appreciate your leadership. And by the way, you know, I think you should pay us all less and we'll just sacrifice for the company and we're going to work double the hours and we're going to like, no, this, no, it's, it's everyone's, I need this. I want more capital. I want this. Right. And you, but that's the, that's the challenge of leadership. So it's less viscerally satisfying. In some ways it's like, I've got three kids. It's a bit more like raising kids, you know, it's the, it's the journey rather than the individual outcomes that is more, most satisfying. Yeah, no, for sure. And (laughs) I ask sometimes, I ask people a lot of times, really, what what inspires you to be a leader? What makes you want to be a leader? <laughs> Unfortunately, society has, has mandated that the measure of success is, you know, your title, your leadership role it used to be, you know, where your office is in the building, how many windows you have, whatever it is. Right. And 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 we don't really think in terms of subject matter experts and individual contributors as being as successful as someone that carries a C-suite title and has a span of control. It's not for everybody. Right. And and we really need to revisit some of that, you know. I completely agree. I will say that in many of my conversations with clients, increasingly I see them less, more 
realistic about the demands and burdens of leadership now. You know, my, and and many opt out. Many, and it's not that they opt out completely, but they opt out of the next role because they see the cost of it. Oh my gosh, the opportunity. You can't quantify. I mean, it's just when you think of the hours that you put on on the on the the human capital side and all of the you know it it has less to do with the work and more to do with psychology. It does. It's true. That's why maybe they'll they'll follow your footsteps and leave and start their own practice. <laughs> well, that's not for everybody either. I get that. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to your. So we've talked about be realistic. We've talked about having this mindset, this listening, questioning mindset. And let's go to your last point, which is developing your authentic power center. What does that mean? It means that we spend a lifetime hearing what we're not, what we can't, what we should have more of, and who should we, who we should be more like. And it's and it it's an energy drainer. Okay. They, we all have a gift and we just need to find it and, you know, I'm sorry, love it and cultivate it and, and allow it to be, you know, our power center. So how do you, I mean, we're in the world, right? Where we have all these books, we have podcasters like us, you know, we have bosses, we have peers saying this is the kind of leader you should be. How do you encourage someone to identify what is theirs and theirs alone that is going to to serve as that uh, power center? Take some risks. And and as I, I, full disclosure, I said, I have a higher risk tolerance than most, right? But I think this is where coaching can really be helpful. I told you, I don't give advice. I ask questions. I'm an observer. I hold up the mirror for people to, to begin to see some of these things in themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just have to take small bites. If you could approach this any way possible, what would you do? Those, are, those kinds of questions that people will say, oh, you know, I would do this, but I could never do that, or that would never fly. Well, how can we do it on a small scale? Where can we test it? We're not high visibility. You know, there's little little at risk to see how it feels and if we can get traction. And if we can find a way for people to really just take a first step toward being who they really are, it is it is empowering. Much of this, when you're talking about risk-taking and finding yourself, how much of it is about trying, taking risk and doing work or doing work in a way that you want? And how much of it is doing it in a way that reflects your own authentic style? It's all of the above. It, I, you know, it's the same thing. It reflecting your style and, and, and taking a, an approach that is aligned with your values and the way you see things, basically. So it is, so you want to know what you enjoy doing. Yeah know who you authentically are as you do it. Is that? I, yes. I ask people to forget about the title. You know, I want to be a vice, I want to be this, I want to be, forget about that. If money had nothing to do with it, how would you spend your time? Okay. What do you like doing? What brings you joy? And really, but I, but I don't get to do that in my work, but I don't get, well, let's, let's figure it out. Okay. Because if you can get to that thing, and really figure out how to bring that into your day, your work somehow, it makes such a difference, right? But I don't think people take the time to think about it that way. And I imagine when you're starting a new role in the scenario that we're talking about, it's actually a really unique moment in time to define and incorporate at least part of that work that you love doing into your new role, because it's kind of un- defined when, how you're going to go about doing it. Is that fair to say? It's that fresh sheet on the flip chart. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a clean start. It's a fresh start. 
I like it. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, one of the great trends I've seen in the leadership world in the last five years, especially, is this idea that we shouldn't be forced into a box, <laughs> you know, and there is more room. We're not there yet. We're not where we need to be from an inclusion standpoint, but there is in many companies and in the world, a growing sense, I'd say, that people should bring their authentic self to leadership. Are you seeing that? And how is that showing up in the coaching that you're doing? I do see it more. And, uh, you know, the reality is I, I, I've i got a lot of uh, examples. Uh, I have a, a long memory of, you know, where that has not been the case, let me put it that way. Uh, I am seeing a lot more than that. And, and it is a relief, in, in my opinion, because we're not all going to fit into a box. And you know, there's there's nothing more valuable to a team and an organization, in my opinion, than diversity of thinking, diversity of perspective, different points of view. Mm-hmm. People are afraid of that dissidence. You know, they they default that everything all of a sudden becomes conflict. It's not conflict. It's just you know, I like yellow, she likes red. You know, so that's that's really the extent of it sometimes. But I think it's important to encourage that. You have to manage it. But I think it's important to encourage that and hold the space for it because people need to be able to bring their, their whole selves to work. I know we're hearing too much of that. And we've got to create a an environment uh, characterized by psychological safety. Mm-hmm. You can't, can't walk around in fear of, you know, your team not having your back. What is she going to think if I say this and he's not going to agree with me and all of that. We need everybody's voices. We need everybody's point of view. And it sounds like to do that, you really want to do some self-reflection, take those risks as you say, know what you want to be doing and what fills your battery and and what your voice is. So, yes. Well, these have been great points, you know, just to summarize for, and I know we've talked about them in the context of people taking on new roles or, or more senior roles in their own, their current company. But really, I, I think they apply that to even if you're not changing jobs to, you know, one, to be realistic is what I'm taking away, realistic about what role is possible and what success actually is and what the power structure is. And then second, you know, to adopt this kind of inquisitive mindset to act, to really seek to understand alignment or lack thereof, to create and to let go of the visceral satisfaction of doing. And lastly, to develop your authentic power center and to really know what you stand for and, and what you want, how you want to go about doing it. So have I, um, have I captured the points or would you expand on those at all? You have captured them, but here's, here's the thing, you know, when I think back many years, um, you know, we used to think about the, some call it the psychological, some call it the social contract between employees and employees. And, you know, it was compensation in exchange for loyalty, all these things that, that are, that are no longer relevant, right? And so when you succumb to the wishes of someone else to, you know, be this person and not be that person, speak this way and don't do that and all these things, then you really lose sight of who you are at a point. You can't. And, you know, with, with, the, with the, the landscape now, with so many uncertain and in some cases abrupt transitions, it's really important, I think, for all of us to be resolute in, 
you know, who we are, what we can do, what our strengths are. I've seen so many people over the years, you know, yield to what it says on the business card and 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 all of those kinds of things. When all that's stripped away, they're they're lost. Okay. Mm. They're really not in a place, in a healthy place to get themselves together and move forward. That's a whole different type of intervention, route and challenge. Um, but that's a dangerous place to be. Mm. And so I think that yes, you've got to be part of a team and you've got to you know, align with company culture, you got to do all those things. But you also have to be really clear on on who you are, what you want, what you don't want, what works for you, and able so that you're able to to move forward no matter what. Your first responsibility is to yourself and to your family, right? To and 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 so you, you really got to be clear about what that looks like. Yeah, that's great advice, and and no uh, time more than now with people switching jobs companies changing so rapidly, industries transforming, that sense of who you are, what you stand for is all that we carry with you. So I think it's some wise words there. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Brenda, for for coming on the show. If people want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about what you do, where should they go and what should they read? They should go to adaptiveleadershipstrategies.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram as author B. Harrington, and my direct email is bharrington at adaptiveleadershipstrategies.com. And you're based where? I am in uh, Northern Virginia, the Washington, D.C. area. Well, I appreciate you joining us from uh, from the capital or near the capital, sharing your wisdom with me and with, with my listeners. It's very much appreciated. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Brenda Harrington. If you're taking on a new job within your company or if you're moving to another company, her advice on how to prepare, how to set your expectations, how to really be successful, I think is is practical and invaluable. And uh, may it help you inspire in your next role or in your current role. Next time on the pod, I'm joined by three guests, uh, Danny Asaf, Waleed Hijazi, and Joe Manget, three business leaders in Canada. Danny is a well-regarded corporate lawyer. Waleed is a professor at the Rotman School of Business uh, here in Toronto. And Joe is a former head of Boston Consulting Group Canada and the executive CEO of a healthcare company. And they joined me to talk about their new book, Everybody's Business and outline why so many businesses in Canada are falling behind their global competitors and what to do about it. And though the book is a macro look, they really provide some clear guidance on what leaders can and should do to embrace technology and push their businesses forward. So join me for that conversation. And in the meantime, please rate and review the pod. We're coming up on 100,000 listens, and I really appreciate it. And every review we get helps us get the word out and bring other listeners to the pod. So thanks for listening. Go forth and inspire.